This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. This is Bird Shooter. Welcome to the show in episode number 38. Tonight we discuss a trail that is not on the radar of most North Americans, but it has moved to the top of my list of trails to hike, and that is thanks to a film I recently saw on YouTube titled Distant North. The movie documents the thru-hike of a young couple named Theo and B, who walked 273 miles on the Kungsleden, which they hiked north to south in the Arctic of northern Sweden. The northern part of the trail reminds me a lot of inland Alaska with uh, spectacular scenery and wildlife, but with remote backcountry huts and far fewer people than the long distance trails in the US and Western Europe. The OMB spent the last three years traveling and living out of their van, but heard of this trail while on the road and decided to explore it. So listen in, learn more, and get there while you can, because the Kungsleden will not remain the best kept secret of Scandinavia for long. This is Bird Shooter, and I'd like to welcome Theo and B to the show this evening. They have uh, recently released a film called Distant North, which documents their 273-mile, or 440-kilometer, through hike on the Kungsleden, which is a trail that runs north to south in the Arctic of northern Sweden. And uh, I want to thank you, Theo and B, for being on the show tonight. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. Yeah, we've been trying to get together for some time, and one of the first questions I have for you is, I know you guys do a lot of traveling, tons of traveling, so where did you spend the holidays, and are you planning on being in the UK for a while? Yeah, so we, we actually spent the holidays back with our family uh, in Birmingham, England, and we actually kind of, we have a base now, which is a, a narrow boat, and we live on, on the canal, so yeah, we we're kind of... An hour, an hour or so away from Birmingham. So, you know, that's our base, and then we we have a camper van as well, uh, and we use that to go off hiking all the time and and kind of do different projects and travel around. Yeah, and and you guys have been traveling pretty much consistently for how long now? Multiple years, I take it. Yeah, nearly three years. I think we've been um, traveling and and doing a lot more outdoorsy stuff than we were beforehand. Um, that started in 2014 when we um, moved into a van for a year and a half in Europe and Scotland. And uh, that kind of then led us, we kind of went onto the Kungsleden after doing the van and then into the narrow boat. So we've, we've kind of like just done like a really crazy three years, really. <laughs> yeah, so I think what we did, 23 countries in Europe in our van, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe. maybe more. But yeah, we've, we've, we've seen a lot and it's been amazing. Yeah, and now I remember in your show, um, in your movie, Distant North, you met a couple named Cody and Justina. Did, did you know about the Kungsleden before you met them? So, yeah, we know we knew nothing about the Kungsleden before we met Cody and Justina. Uh, basically, we met them in the Lofoten Islands, which was one of our favorite places. In uh, northern Norway. In northern Norway. Uh, it was our, one of our favorite places that we've been to ever. Uh and we, we we hung around that area for a, a kind of long while, 
maybe I don't know a month or so, maybe more, two months. Two months. Yeah, so maybe two months in the van, and uh, basically until the weather got so bad that it forced us to leave, uh, everything started freezing up in the van. But basically, cut a long story short, uh, Cody was in the Lofoten Islands, and I'd been reading his uh, ebooks because he produces ebooks uh, of kind of hiking guides and stuff. So I reached out to him on Twitter and said how much I liked his uh, his guides, and he said, "Oh, I'm I, I'm nearby. Uh, I'll come and say hello." And I think 15 minutes later, he knocked on the van, and and kind of that was it. A friendship was struck up, and yeah. And it was when we went to meet him six months or so later. Um, he'd moved to Germany, and uh, we got chatting about the Kungsleden for the second time. And uh, kind of decided to all do it together a few months later. So that's how it all kind of came about, really. Yeah, because him and Justina, actually, they'd actually done it uh, a, a kind of a small section before on skis. Uh, so, yeah, they already had experience of the trail, but we, yeah, we knew nothing. Gotcha. So I wasn't sure how much time elapsed, but it didn't. It wasn't like one week later you were on the Kung Sled and you actually had no. six months to get ready, right? No. Um, well, when we decided to all do the Kung Sled, and that was in, I think it was May, and then we hit the trail in September. So we um, we then went off back to the UK end of May and straight to Scotland for until until September, where we did a lot of training there, which was like pretty much the perfect environment really to get used to uh, Sweden and packing yeah. bags like and uh, carrying that sort of stuff around and just like walking long distances in in just fairly grim weather at some points in Scotland. So it was ideal, really. Yeah, we thought, what's where's got bad weather and where's we're good? Let's go <laughs> to Scotland. Not that it was always bad in Sweden, <laughs> but they kind of got similar. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I noticed in your videos, you guys do a lot of hiking had you ever hiked that far at one time before no no never never that far i mean we'd only before we did the kungsladen we'd only ever camped uh one night at a time so hike somewhere camp the night and then hike back yeah we'd never done more than one night wild camping we'd well we'd gone other places but like consecutively we'd only ever done one night at a time so hiking for 30 days solid and uh, staying in a tent for a majority of it was definitely a, a new experience for us yeah you know my experience actually with some of the long distance trails in the u.s are similar a lot of people that set out to hike 2,000 miles you know maybe they've <laughs> only spent like two nights in the woods consecutively before you know so I, I don't i don't think that's uncommon at all actually no, no. nor should it be i mean no. Um, no, I think I think yeah, I mean I think the main thing is is that you put in the the kind of training and actually walking beforehand, you know, and and kind of get your feet ready and and kind of know the distances that you're going to be doing. I mean, you know, sleeping in a tent one night is pretty much the same as sleeping in a tent for three nights, you know. Yeah, it was it's, the moving every day that was totally really hard. Um so yeah, that was the hardest part, I'd say. Yeah, it, well, one of the questions I was going to ask you, because it's certainly one of the hardest parts of doing a long-distance hike, is just getting the time and the money. How, mm. how do you guys manage around, um, you know, the financials? You guys seem like you live pretty thrifty when you're traveling in your van, but uh, um, yeah. you know, how, does, how does someone pull this off, I guess, is a, is a great question for you. Yeah, so, I mean, we funded it in a few ways. I mean, uh, I funded... You know, I funded mine and B's money for the actual trail. 
to get there, to get you know, back. expenses, getting there, getting back. So buying food along the trail. Buying food, yeah. So that was basically the flight there, and then we took a sleeper train. Uh, twenty hours. Which was twenty hours uh, all the way to North Sweden uh, from the south. So yeah, so there was that expense. Uh, then we got some uh, kind of sponsorship for uh, kit. So we were sponsored by Low Alpine, Rab, uh, Visit Sweden, Mountain Warehouse, Warehouse, and SDF. So they they helped us out with kind of of gear. And also we we had a lot of gear already, but, you know, they they updated us uh, with some updated gear. And we got to try out some new packs from Low Alpine, which were amazing. Uh, uh, Rab gave us some really nice sleeping bags. So, yeah, basically they helped us out that way. And also STF, uh, they gave us free uh, entry into the uh, any cabin that we wanted to use along the way. That was their cabin. That was their cabins. Yeah. Uh, and also their own, because on a certain amount of the uh, lakes, they have their own private boat service. So uh, the, those ones we had uh, payment covered for on those as well, but not all boats on the lakes across the Kungsleden are STF there are about uh two I think it is that yeah, are private, private that you have to pay for yeah, so think. yeah we you know so we had some corporate sponsors that kind of way and then I mean and then we were just kind of like okay we're, we want to make the film that's the whole point uh no one's really done it before uh the full thing and into a proper feature-length documentary the information is very hard to get on the Kungsleid and it's all in either German or Swedish. Uh, so, you know, if you don't speak their lang- languages, it's, it's very difficult. So we wanted to kind of change that and give people an idea of what they were going to see along the way and what they were getting into. You did yeah, a great so job did it. It. <laughs> Thank you. And then the last thing was we, we ran a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, for some money to pay for things like uh, batteries and SD cards cards and stuff to actually store 30 days worth of footage on and and kind of keep powered up as well because I I had to carry 23 batteries along the way with me uh, just to, you know, have enough power to get to the next point that I could charge, which was... At least once a week. Well, yeah, I think it was was once every 10 days. that I could actually find somewhere to charge. You guys hiked. You guys hiked northbound on the Kungsleden, or did you hike southbound? We hiked southbound. Yeah. Okay, is that the standard way that most people hike it? Yeah, it seems to be. I mean, we did bump into I can think of at least one person who'd been coming south up to north, but everyone else seemed to be doing north to south. We were talking about finances earlier. What is um, you know, and you're probably going to give me in pounds, but what is it? typically cost in this day and age to hike the uh, Kungsleden once uh, you get there because obviously transportation would be a big expense for a lot of folks of course well um the boats are generally around about 200 crowns each which is i don't know what what the conversion rate is at the is moment like, is it like 20 pounds maybe Probably maybe something like that i mean the most expensive boat that we had to cross on a on a private lake was about 30 35 pounds so that it can be quite pricey it's not very cheap in terms of that food we worked out before that we probably spent around about uh over a thousand crowns um 
on food along the trail. We did bring um, £10 because we have Aldi in uh, England, which is very cheap. (laughs) So we we managed to get a lot of, like, um, noodles and couscous and, and, like, lightweight chocolate bars and stuff like that to go with us for the first week for £10 each. But that did end up lasting... Some of that ended up lasting quite far into the trail, at least three weeks. But when, when there was a shop, we would either... Deciding how we fell that day, we just couldn't bear the thought of having noodles. And if there was a shop there that had something in that was edible for us, because we're also vegetarian, although yeah. we do eat fish, as you can see in the film, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, we would maybe sometimes get something else. Um, but most of the time, it was stuff that we had. So it was noodles or rice or what have you. Um, and we did, it, it is not cheap buying food. Um, obviously yeah, I it's mean, in Sweden and it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Sweden is an expensive country anyway, but. You know, when you're in the middle of nowhere and you get to this hut and they've had to bring it in by helicopter, uh, you can understand the expense is going to be be more than your average. Yeah, and the the um, the huts there because we were sponsored, obviously that was a massive amount of funding. Yeah, the huts is probably the most expensive the most, thing. Most expensive thing if you weren't sponsored and you were going to be staying in the huts. That's I think what it, you'd need to budget. For. I think is it about thirty-five pounds a night? It can so, range from yeah. twenty to thirty-five. I think. So what's that in dollars? Maybe like forty-five dollars, fifty dollars a night. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah, so I've I've done some backpacking in Norway, and it was mm. my first real experience. Oh, yeah, with the, with the you know sort of Scandinavian hut system. But I was first yep. of all, I was shocked how I mean they're really nice huts, and then that they yeah. actually had yeah. food in them. I couldn't believe that yeah. they were stocked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really nice, like especially when you get to I don't know, you get to a cabin, and you you know you've been hiking all day, and you can even just something like a fizzy drink or oh, something yeah. like that is just amazing to. Yeah. You know, because obviously you can't be carrying cans of fizzy drink with you, or no, definitely or, not when you're like two weeks in. Like you're not going to be able to carry things like that from the beginning. So if you can stumble across something like that in one of the shops that might be open along the way, in one of the cabins, because bearing in mind the cabins shut halfway through our trail, so um, the shops also shut with it. So that kind of we we lost out on that luxury after the two weeks on the trail, which was a shame. So that's why in the first two weeks we really made the most out of having access to the shops that were along the trail in the cabins. And also because we were so late in the year, the uh, all the cabins were shutting down, so they were selling off all their food, what they had left, so we could get a few bargains here and there. <laughs> yeah. So that was a question I had for you. Is is there? Um, I guess there's obviously a season, and it's probably what. Early early summer through mid yeah, fall like, is that it? Yeah, I mean the cabins. I think most people do it in August. Don't most they? people do it August and then finish by early September. It seemed because the trail did really thin out once we got past about um, Saltalewakta, and um, that was about ten days in. So around about the tenth of September. Um, oh, what was I going to say? I've just totally forgot. Oh yeah, um, basically the. Um, it's a bit of a funny system because the cabins, when they close for the uh, for the season, they don't all close on the same day. So there's like kind of a staggered or different dates for every single cabin. <laughs> so you kind of have to be on the ball knowing which ones are going to be open and which are going to be shut. I mean, some shut as early as I think it was the 13th. And then others would shut up to the about the 22nd or 23rd or something of September. So there really was... Um, like a bit of a delay in terms of that but even when the cabins were shut it just meant that there wasn't a warden there and there was always 
the um they leave an emergency room which open. is usually the the dog room um which doesn't sound very nice but it's just like all the other rooms it just allows people who have dogs to uh stay in those rooms <laughs> so yeah, yeah it's just one one room with a wood burner and yeah you know and a couple of bunk beds or a bunk bed and and yeah yeah, it's it's really cool what you need uh but yeah even even visit sweden uh were very worried about our timings and and they even said basically well they basically said you're not going to make it yeah Uh, they they thought that once we got to quick the the snow would come in and it would be which is what about halfway that was halfway so they were thinking that we should really yeah. Dip out at Quick Yock and get back on at Amarnus. But um, by the time we got to Quick Yock, the weather was absolutely fine. It, they the they even arranged transport for to pick us up at uh, you know halfway to take yeah. us to take us this one of the sections because it, they were thought it'd be covered in snow. But but the summer look, was quite late, yeah. so it meant that the autumn didn't come to an end too soon but did obviously was biting our heels by the last few days <laughs> right yeah we, we we got lucky so it, i take it that the cabins are generally staffed during the season and then the staff sort of clears out as you exactly. get on the outskirts okay exactly yeah, exactly yeah. How it works. Yeah. yeah and you know there's you know there's a big section of the trail that has no cabins you yeah. know the yeah. There are there some private huts there. Uh, it's basically one of the longest sections on the trail. It's between Krikyok and Amarnas, and it was about uh, at least 150 kilometres, I think. Yeah, so you've got no STF cabins there, and you have to, you know, you have to come. You have to have a tent, there's, mm. there's literally, unless you, you want to make something out of, you know, twigs or something, <laughs> or you want to be the, it's yeah. up to you. I mean, it rained most of the time we were on that section, and if we didn't have a tent, it would have been super miserable. Right, yeah. So, yeah. We had great weather wall in the huts, and then it, <laughs> it rained every time we were in it a tent. It chose to rain when we were in the tents and stay lovely when we were in the huts, which uh, is a bit ironic. That is ironic. You know, I, I did not notice... Part of it. I didn't notice a lot of people. I mean, it seems like um, uh, yeah. it's not a heavily traveled trail, right? Really, the, yeah, the northern re- section is super duper popular. Yeah, and that's going from Abisko to Nikolawata, um, and then once you get past there, but you, the trail doesn't actually go to Nikolawata. The tra- uh, Nikolawata is a um, like a offshoot. Yeah, so it branches off to the left and then... Past Mount Kebnekaiser yeah. which is the tallest mountain in Sweden. So a lot of people do that trail and then do the highest mountain in Sweden and, and then and finish then it at Wokta, but um, once you get past there, or mainly once you get past Saltaluokta we really started to notice that the trail thinned out and then once we got on the boat... Well, we didn't see we didn't see on the latter part of the trail, it was yeah, from, 10 days before we didn't see a, well, another after person. We left, well, after Cody and Jean Justina left um, and we got onto the trail again which was halfway through we didn't see another person on the trail pretty much I mean we bumped, we'd bump into people close by the towns but on not, on the, but it not was, on the actual trail yeah it was really bizarre it was totally secluded it was mental <laughs> yeah I'm sure so and I remember Cody and Justina one of them got an injury is that why they had to get off the trail yeah so Cody uh, he had is a photographer a professional photographer and you know, he had a lot of kind of different lenses and two tripods and two camera bodies. So I think the weight for him was, was a bit too much. And also Justina had a uh, ankle injury. Uh, I think she must have twisted her ankle and it kind of swelled up yeah, really badly. It, it got really bad for her. She, she was in a lot of pain and struggling to carry, especially with her pack. 
Um, so it meant that yeah. Cody did actually end up taking some of her stuff on as well, which added to his burden of his weight, which is why they ended up having to cut down on their trip, really. But they did... Um, well, it got to the point where, you know, instead of hiking together, we would go off and and kind of hike at our pace and they would hike at their pace and get there a couple of hours later and you know they just in the end it, they just couldn't keep up and, no. and we, we had to make a decision what and, to do and we did have to hike quite fast because there was the pressure of the boats being taken out of the water as well there was always some kind of pressure sorry but can you hear that noise in the background that's like yeah. a cat <laughs> oh, there you go i saw that in your um, video actually yeah <laughs> but yeah the uh yeah the last thing you want to do is kind of miss a miss the rowboat over the lake in the middle of nowhere and there's no way around the lake either you know yeah, so, so we had to, we had to just decision. press on and and get there which gotcha. was a shame because it would have been great to do it all together but these things happen you, we didn't plan for this yeah they they actually skipped uh they so they skipped the hardest part which is that middle part with uh the, with the, with the no cabins the and then they just did the last southern to yeah, um, which is about I think it was 80 kilometers or something really yeah so they just finished off and did that which i thought was going to be the easiest part but it was actually the hardest because i was so tired by the time we got there and it was the fourth week no the third week either way it was the last eight just see, yeah it just seemed like it was all uphill you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought the northern part was beautiful it re- really reminded oh, me of alaska yeah. you know the wide open yeah. spaces yeah yeah forever yeah, oh, yeah, it's so beautiful, and the you know, there was stunning. And and you walk past these little Sami towns in the middle of nowhere, yeah. and it's just you know the, all these little huts, and there's still some uh, Sami people still living out there uh, in the summer and stuff. It's yeah, it's amazing to see. Now, yeah. have you guys hiked in Alaska before? Because it just seems to me as much as you've traveled, that's got to be on your list. We've it's never, on the list. Yeah, yeah we've never been that far north um, in terms of. Uh, that continent we've been to the furthest north in america we've been is montana where i've got family so we would love to go to canada and alaska they look stunning and they're on our list for the future yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we've got a big list <laughs> well you guys i gotta say i gotta give you some credit because you've knocked off a lot of places <laughs> yeah. you know, more more than yeah. most by far i'm sure yeah um, well yeah hey so let me ask you you were talking about dogs before and how they had a room you know where if you're yeah. hiking with your dog that you know obviously they probably are trying to keep some of the rooms cleaner. So are yeah. there yeah. that many people hiking with dogs on the trail? On, on the Not Kingsland? really. I mean, there nah. was this one couple who we made friends with um, who had a wonderful little pug. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that pug was very cute. We ended up being at almost the same place every night for the first week. Um, so that was the dog that we saw regularly in the first week. But, but every every time we were in the dog room, there was no dogs. No, you know? I mean, we were uh, in a dog room a few times before the huts even closed and there wasn't a dog there. So, I mean, other than the pug... Uh, we didn't see I think I saw maybe one other dog but there really wasn't that many considering they have a room dedicated they're very lucky yeah <laughs> yes yeah I mean on the Appalachian Trail you'll see a lot uh, you know of long distance hikers that are hiking with dogs and that's why I was curious oh, yeah yeah, uh-huh. yeah. but um, so the, the huts I mean I think I recall at one point you guys had to call ahead and make a reservation they do get booked up you can't just definitely uh, that count was, on them right that, uh, that was for a boat no, so, no, that was also for the hostel as well. Oh, the hostel. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the the hostel, so they have like the mountain stations, 
So this wasn't a mountain station though. The hostel in uh, Yakvik that was fully booked. Oh, okay, the private uh, place. This was basically yeah, no. Yeah. You, you can't book um, the FTS cabins. They're mm. basically first come, first serve, and if there's no room, they'll still make room for you. They'll put a bed on the floor, and you can sleep on there. No one gets turned away from there. But um, the place where we called and it was fully booked, that was actually a private hostel, which was the only place to stay in this one town. The first town we came across in about I don't know, was it five days? And it was when your ear infection was properly raging yeah <laughs> and I we remember. all like it it was a nightmare all our gear was soaking wet because we'd just been in downpour and like boggy boggy landscapes for days and even our tent had ended up getting wet inside because we were having to pack it up wet every day get it out wet in the rain it just had no chance and then we were really needed to stay somewhere and uh, it was fully booked and that was just heartbreaking because we just thought, how can this place in the middle of nowhere in, like, you know, end of September be full? What are we going to do? But the guy was so, so kind. He happened to have a little cabin <laughs> just around the corner from his house that he actually let us stay in with this um, German guy who we also met at the hostel who turned up on the wrong day like us and found it full. So that was the only time that we were kind of a little bit stuffed but thankfully we all worked out well in the end yeah i was actually really impressed with the number of times that you guys were able to charge cell phones and batteries i mean how how are these remote cabins powered are they powered by solar power well, well that's the thing yeah so all of the all of the stf cabins they don't have any power no uh it's just literally as basic as there's just a wood burner yeah. uh that's it and, and candles for light you know candles no... for light there's there's no yeah they do have uh gas hobs yeah they have gas hobs for cooking but the uh the wardens they have their own little separate hut usually because with a solar because they're living there and they they need kind of emergency uh you know information like weather and phone and stuff so they have a little solar panel uh, but you can't, you know, you can't use that for them. Uh, so I could only charge, yeah, every time I got to a mountain station. And that was every seven to ten days. Yeah. So, gotcha. Yeah. yeah I was, I just, do I remember one of those huts had like a sauna in it? Or is that one that was close? Yeah, to yeah. Yeah, a fair few of them have. <laughs> the Scandinavians love their saunas. <laughs> oh, man. They know how to make hiking enjoyable, surely. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the thing is, with the STF, it was like with the shops on in their little cabins. When the wardens were there and it was open during the season, the ones that had shops and the ones that had saunas, anyone could go and use them, which was just absolutely amazing to be able to just sit in well, a nice warm room. Yeah, I mean, if you've not had a shower for, you know, a week and you get to one of the cabins with a sauna and, yeah, you know, this hot water you can wash in and stuff. So, yeah, that's That brilliant. was really cool. But what, obviously, once at the moment the cabin shut, uh, we didn't have access to them anymore, which is always a bit yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. You have to just crank, crank up the wood burner and, and get our own sauna going. Yeah. yeah, no, that looks pretty sweet. Now, are you guys able to get cell reception most of the time or not very often when you're on that trail? No, I, I think I think we got cell reception twice in 30 yeah. days. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That was obviously during when we were in the middle of nowhere, but at the mountain stations, they would have, if there wasn't cell reception, they could have Wi-Fi most of the time. I think most of them had it, the mountain yeah, stations. So the mountain stations, there were Saltaluokta. Um, what was the next one? Kukyok, yeah. Amanus, and Hemavan. Yeah. That was the last when you finished the trail. So those were the four places we knew we'd have Wi-Fi and the four places we knew we could charge. Yeah, so when you're planning it, you're like, okay, 
how many batches am I going to use? How long does the the camera manufacturer say this battery is going to last? And then you do all this kind of division and working out of kind of how long you think it will last, and and then buy an extra couple of batteries and hope for the best, basically. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's actually a good point because you know a lot of people they go out and they do these long distance trails and they're just hiking, mm. but you know to some degree you're you're setting shots up. I mean, you're charging batteries. I mean, that has to add an element of um, just a lot of extra work to the to the whole event, right? Yeah, I think I did uh, a fair few extra kilometers just running backwards and forwards, kind of yeah. setting up the camera, running back to the group, then walking past the camera, and then running back to the camera to pick it up, and then packing it away, and then carrying on. So, yeah, I definitely did a, a fair few extra kilometers. It, did, it definitely did make it a lot more challenging filming the whole thing. Yeah. Because there were certain times when you just really don't want to stop and get the camera out, or the weather was really tragic, but we just thought, we need to capture this. It has to be shown. Like, we can't just get it out when it's easy for us. Like, we've yeah. got to film every single day. We've got to film everything we do. Especially when, you know, I'm... I kind of lost a lot of my balance through the ear infection and the last thing I wanted to do was film, you know, but I just had to kind of carry on and just keep shooting. <laughs> yeah, you had some great yeah. scenery, great scenery in there. Thank the Northern you. Lights shots that you had were phenomenal. Oh, thank you, thank you. But yeah, yeah I, I think in the end we had, I think we had 17 hours of footage in the end. Yeah. Uh, That's got to be challenging trying to pick through what you want to use in the film, right? It was. It was really tough. That's, you know, that was the hardest part, you know, just breaking it all down into different sequences. And then there's a lot that had to be chopped out. So, you know, we're hoping we can do something with that one day. Yeah. And you had some great shots of wildlife, too. The reindeer, the grizzly bear. Was was that the first time you'd seen those animals? Yeah. So, I mean, I think yeah, we've seen moose before. Uh, in did we see moose in Norway? No, we'd never seen moose before. We'd never seen moose before. I okay. don't think so. I think we might have seen moose in America. Yeah, so we've seen moose. Oh, we've seen moose in America. Yeah, so we've seen moose in the yeah, US, yeah. and then, uh, but never in Europe. So that was really cool. Uh, Reindeer, we've seen once, and we were driving up to the Arctic Circle the year before in the van. Um, but and yeah, to one at the side of the road. Yeah, <laughs> we were like, is that real? <laughs> yeah, one, and then we see like thousands of you know reindeers. It was it was just incredible. And uh, the well with the bear, we didn't actually see the bear because they're super duper rare in Sweden, um, in and in pretty much most of Scandinavia. There's yeah, they, not that many of them left, and they're really um, cautious of humans. So yeah. the closest we got to the bear was to its poo on the trail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, they look like they really gorgeous. <laughs> the, the, like the bears, of blueberries. yeah. So the, yeah, we found a really nice area with just loads of blueberries, and the bear just gone wild, and <laughs> and then and then yeah, uh, God knows where it was. It, it looked like it was fairly fresh, it, uh, it was, it wasn't but they they they're really scared in Europe. You know, they stay a long way. If they see humans or any human activity, they're they're gone. I mean, when we've been in the states before, we've seen bears quite a few times now. So right. yeah, I, I'll I mean, tell you, it's the, totally different. The one thing in your film that blew me away was when you were standing in the middle of what, that thousand uh, reindeer herd and you're sitting up on that rock. That was cool. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that was definitely one of the most memorable moments. It was, uh, yeah, and just to get the tip off from the uh, from the woman who kind of drove the boat over and she just said, you know, if you go up there and wait, this is going to happen. And we were like, okay, we might as well hang about. And then all of a sudden 
we could just see in the distance this stampede of you know <laughs> reindeer. It was ridiculous. It was like kind of scary thinking, oh my god, we're like right in the path of all these reindeer. Like, what are they going to be like? We're going to freak them out and they're going to go crazy or something. But they were actually like pretty chilled. They were just going their own way, and uh, it was just amazing to see that many reindeer and the um, noise they made as well. Cause yeah. Some of them had bells, so you could hear like jingling. But one of the things I found so interesting was the fact that the Sami people who are, you know, herding these reindeer are in helicopters, they're in on motorbikes, quad bikes. <laughs> you know, you expect some kind of some old guy or something, yeah, yeah, just with a stick or something. But yeah, it's a really modern way of doing it. Yeah, I thought that was one of the coolest parts in the entire film. What, what was yeah. one of the what was one of the most exciting? coolest experiences you had out there probably that was one of them yeah I, I think that was an incredible day because that happened uh it was i mean for one it was a perfect day for hiking you know it's completely still the weather was a good temperature not too hot uh we went over the boat and it was just like you know the the river was just like or the lake was just like a just like glass really lovely reflection so it got loads of beautiful shots and then that happened. Then me and Cody split off from uh, just Dino and B. They went down to the cabin and we went up a mountain uh, to a place called Rapidolin. And I just stood on the edge of that mountain overlooking this view and I just couldn't believe my eyes. It was by far probably the best view I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so I think, yeah, that stands out. And that night we had beautiful sunset. Then we woke up, got northern lights uh, for about an hour, went back to bed, woke up for sunrise, beautiful sunrise, and then back down to the cabin in the morning. So that was probably the best 24 hours of my life, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely a memorable moment from the film because the view you guys had from up there was was amazing. Now, was, was Cody an American? Do I remember that right? He is, yeah, yeah. He's from uh, Santa Barbara. And did you see very many Americans on the uh, Kung Sledden? Because I don't think it's on the radar of most long-distance no, hikers that I, I know here. No, I think I think there was one or two. I yeah. think I think there was one couple maybe. The and majority that's... of people were either German or Swedish. Yeah, so it, you know the trails obviously very well known with within Sweden, and sure. then. Germans are just very adventurous, so we've, yeah. we've realised from our travels, you know, wherever you are, don't be a German person, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is amazing. They just they yeah, just they seem to just go and do it, you know. Um, you know, you could you could be anywhere in the world and think you think you're alone, and a, and a German person will pop up. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> funny because you're, you're not the first person I've heard say that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. It's great. We met some really nice German people, yeah, you know, all over. Yeah. They're super adventurous, uh, but yeah, it's it's mainly German people, Swedish, uh, Norwegians, mm. uh, and and that's the. I think we met one British guy. One British guy, and then yeah, and, and then, and then kind of two. few Americans, and you know, yeah, just a cup, a handful of you know other other people basically well, and that's had, it like the good thing is since the film's come out we've had so many people saying oh i really am inspired to do this trail i'd never heard of it before i want to see it and that was the whole point of doing this film was to just like encourage people to get out into europe and try different trails they've never seen before because if we'd never heard of it we know that 
no one we know had ever heard of it. <laughs> so now, like so many people who never would have even known this trail was there or aware of it. So that's really cool. I mean, it's it's so beautiful and it's so well maintained and it's it's such a good trail. I have no idea why it's not on more people's radar. I don't know how it's I been t- promoted or I don't I, know. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I've got a long list of trails I want to do, but once I saw your movie, that went straight to the top of the list. I mean, <laughs> I'm shocked that more, well more Americans don't talk about it. But yeah, that, well, that, that um, could change. Yeah, 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 hopefully. Yeah, it'd be good, it'd be good to see we, more. We met this one guy, well, these two Israeli guys, and uh, we basically like asked them, how did you find out about the trail? And basically, uh, the one of them, he said, I just, I just typed in Google the 10 most beautiful trails in the world, and the Kungsleden came up on it. So um, he decided to do the whole trail, and his friend came with him for the first two weeks. And he did complete it, but ahead of us, because he was hiking a lot faster than we were. So that was, Yeah, he was a beast. Like, yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he was <laughs> like... Yeah, so it was interesting that it is coming up, but it's still... Uh, you know, not very well known. He he actually gave me uh, a really good tip that I had really bad blisters, and he he just he just looked at me and said double suck. Oh yeah. So yeah, so I was just like, okay, I'll try that, and then from then on, no more blisters. You know, mm. just two two sucks, and and I was yeah, no more blisters, which was amazing. It's yeah. like little things like that, and you meet people and <laughs> these random little stories that you talk about. It's yeah, it's amazing. So. Have you guys had a, have a lot of people reached out to you since you published the film? Because um, what we haven't even talked about is you offer it for free on YouTube. So I've got to mm-hmm. believe that's been a good source of people finding more information about the Kong Sled. And, I mean, do you guys get yeah. questions all the time? Yeah, we get a huge amount of emails yeah. uh, and comments as well. Uh, but yeah, yeah, people just wanting to know different stuff, you know, the cost and yeah, all sorts of different questions. A lot don't of they? people ask about the gear that we use as well. Yeah, because um, yeah. I think one of the things I was pretty worried about when we did it was what should we take. I mean, I'd ne- like like we said earlier, we'd never done anything this long before. We didn't know exactly what to have. Obviously, there's the basics and stuff, but it's like how many pairs of clothes do you take? Like how many pairs of socks? Things that like are necessary but also unnecessary at the same time. So we get people asking about things like that. A lot of people ask about the cost of it. Um, and and with the cost of it, it's not just the actual trail; it's getting to it as well. Like Theo said earlier, we had to get a plane and a train, so it is um, it's, it is a bit of a trek to get to, but it makes it even more worth it because by the time you get there, you're so ready to just be in the outdoors after being stuffed on a little train for twenty hours. Yeah, you're ready. <laughs> yeah, that would do it yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah and especially when the uh, it was a German couple in our cabin yeah. in on the train. And we we said, oh, why aren't you doing the Kunstlade? And they said, oh, because there's a there's a virus on the on the trail. You can't drink any of the water on the trail, hmm. otherwise you you'll get this disease. And we were like, uh, they basically said that it was the, okay. um, the black plague. Yeah, <laughs> and we, we, we were terrified. We were like, okay. And then I went and spoke to the warden at the first. You know, the Abisko, the mountain station there, who we had to go and speak to to sort out our pass for the for the cabins. And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. The the water's the most freshest water. You know, you can drink anything. Yeah. And that's what makes, that is why it's so a unique, such a unique trail for me. Because a lot of trails, as you know, you, you know, you have to filter, filter the water. Whereas on the Kunkslade, you know, you have a, a river every probably... 
15 minutes and there's water everywhere you can drink anything and it's it's the most yeah it's the tastiest water ever (laughs) yeah now did you guys treat your water or did you just drink it straight from the source no just drink it straight yeah Uh Uh, a lot a lot of people don't even carry uh actual water bottles they just carry a cup so they just clip the cup onto their onto their bag strap and then they just unclip it yeah pop it in the in the river and straight straight out yeah i mean there was only one instance actually where we boiled some water and that was uh between kvikjok and uh yakvik or no between amanis uh we there was no water nearby and there was just a lake so we um yeah, it's a, it it a very water. small. I mean, we probably lake. didn't even need to do it, but we were just like, whatever. We'll we'll boil this water just to make sure. But other than that, you know. B, I thought you were going to say you boiled water after the thousand reindeer herd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it, I mean, probably it, it, should have known. <laughs> no, it really does that make a difference good. because you know it. You know, you're already carrying a lot of weight, and the last yeah, thing you want to do is filter water. I can't imagine. Then you got, a, yeah. Then you need a water filter, and you need to carry more water with you, and yeah, it just becomes, yeah, way too heavy. So, so Theo, this is actually a good time for me to ask this question. I know you got an ear infection, and you you look uh. very much in pain during the film. <laughs> well, I mean, what do you do if you get sick in the middle of essentially nowhere? There's not much. There's no doctors anywhere close, right? Yeah, there's there's no one. Uh, so yeah, you you on your own basically. When we got to one of the little towns, we we asked the woman at one of the uh, accommodation that we were staying in, and I said, you know, is there a doctor? And she just kind of looked at me and smiled, and basically said, yeah, don't be silly. Said, uh, <laughs> we have one doctor in this whole like region that yeah. does house visits, and he's not going to be here anytime soon. So she just told him to put some garlic in his ear. And yeah, she she actually cut me a clove of garlic and said, "Pop that in your ear, you'll be fine in the morning." Oh. And I kind of oh. went back. I went back to went back to the room and and kind of put this garlic in my ear, and I was just like, "This doesn't feel right." <laughs> and then just had. Yeah, just played along with it. I was like, yeah, yeah. In the morning, I was like, yeah, thanks for the garlic. You know, that's, that's some good old mountaineer medicine right there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I mentioned to you a couple times. I, I thought it reminded me so much of Alaska. But the, the other mm. thing I thought, and then that would include the kind of the rain and how it comes off the ocean too. But um, did you guys have a lot of trouble with bugs, like? biting flies and i mean are, are bugs an issue when you're doing this trail there were circumstances where there were uh biting flies and there were mosquitoes but luckily that wasn't too often yeah generally when you buy a, a still piece of water by a you know calm lake or something like that it was worse but i mean the majority of the time it was it was fine yeah, there was it? only a handful of times i can think of i mean there was the one time where cody had his shorts rolled up yeah. And we stood still to take some photos, and he looked down, and his legs were just like swarmed with flies, which was, you know, funny for us, <laughs> but not funny for him. So, <laughs> but yeah. that was really like. I mean, very yeah, rare. and we just like before we went to the hike, we'd spent a couple of months in Scotland, so nothing compares to the midges in Scotland. So yeah. we were huh. we were prepared. Mm. Well, you guys were also a little later in the season too. That has mm. to help, Ex- I'd imagine. E- mm. Exactly, yeah. And in the summertime, it's going to be yeah a lot worse. Right. Now, did you guys have a favorite stop on the trip, a favorite uh, cabin or little town or uh, place that you really liked? I, I mean, in terms of cabins, we we had a couple when when it was completely shut, all the cabins were shut. We, we had some amazing 
cabins to ourselves, didn't we? Yeah. It's just yeah, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere and you just chop some wood, get the fire on, and you know, there's no one about. You've not seen anyone for however many days, and it, it just yeah, you just can really connect. It's. I did really like the cabin at Axe. It was the night that you and Cody had gone off. Yeah. And me yeah. and Justina stayed there, and you met us the next day. That was a. Uh, in a really nice positioning overlooking the lake um and then there was Rapidolin to the right yeah it was just really sunny that day and it was just wonderful to just sit out in the sun and we had a rest day it was fabulous <laughs> yeah that that mountain yeah Rapidolin it's kind of overlooking all of these kind of streams and rivers all merging into one and it just looks yeah it just looks incredible and the the trees line all the rivers as well so it gives this kind of 3d effect so that's definitely my favorite favorite place i just wish i had a uh a camera drone with me to get some shots because that would have just yeah blown my mind yeah i saw your it looks like you've uh been putting your drone to use lately because uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I was looking at your videos from portugal and that was really cool how you had the drone following the van is that, is that yeah. some technology where the drone can follow the remote control i i can't get enough of the drone at the moment uh, basically b just drives and i sit in the passenger seat and just kind of try and fly it my best I can following does it have the tracker on it it does have a yeah it does have a, a kind of mode on there like a tracking mode but uh I've not tried it to be honest I imagine it would possibly be too fast the van to actually track it but yeah. I don't know I'll, I'll have to try it yeah, I thought that was super cool, by the way, and we ought to probably tell the listeners that, you know, you've made this great movie about the Kung Sled and Distant North, but you also, I mean, you guys are making videos all the time, little short videos, yeah. so they, yeah, they definitely yeah. would probably enjoy seeing some of those. Do you, you want to give a quick plug to your uh, website? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we um, we have a website that's uh, com, but all of our videos are on our YouTube channel, which is the same. It's uh, just type in Life, and uh, you'll find us there. We've got quite a lot of videos on our channel now, probably about 70 or 80. So if you've got some time to watch anything and you're bored, well, give us a watch. <laughs> yeah, we've got so much new content coming out and, yeah. and so many new projects that hopefully going to evolve and we're going to yeah we're going to do many many new things this year yeah we're not just about i mean the name is vida van life but we're not just about vans obviously we've got a hiking documentary we've got just kind of things that we just do we've got travels on there um tour videos of like vans and stuff so and obviously yeah, the boat now and obviously you know? our boat yeah we're going to be doing some uh videos of our boat too so now it's yeah, finally it, it, nearly finished well once i saw your um your movie about the Kong sled, and I obviously, you know, was following you through your travels in Europe, and it, you guys have covered some serious distance. You've explored a lot of cool places. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, the reason for the boat is that we came back to England, and after the Kong sled, and and we we didn't have anywhere. We didn't have anywhere to live. To live, basically. We were so staying with Theo's parents for a few weeks, and obviously when you're in your mid-twenties, you don't want to be living at home anymore. So uh, <laughs> plus we've been living in a van for so long, we're used to our own minimal, tiny space. So sure. the next... The and I just wanted that us. cabin feel. Yeah, and Theo is obsessed with cabins. I, yeah. I wish you could see his face. He's uh, obsessed with them. So. Cab- yeah, <laughs> I love different cabins Our and different boat, wood burners. And, yeah. you know, I just, yeah. Our boat is a cabin, basically. So, so the only way I could figure out how can I get a cabin in the UK, it's, it's very difficult to build your own if you get some land. You know, there's lots of planning permission you have to go through and it's, it's nearly impossible. 
So the best way to do it is on water and you know narrow boats are basically floating cabins so that's the way the direction we went in yeah that makes sense now we, we've I've actually got a cabin in northern canada and believe me oh, I, uh, wow. yeah, I, I can relate to your uh your passion yeah, we go we go out there great. fishing every year oh that's cool but, uh, uh, so good yeah no, so i mean what with all the travels that you guys have done what's next on your list what is uh what's on the horizon for you well I've decided it's been a big dream of mine for a few years now. I want to do the PCT. Oh, there you go. You've seen the yeah. movie, I take it, right? Well, no, what happened is I read the book <laughs> first, okay. and this was a few years ago, and then I saw the film. and uh, So that's how I, I'd never heard of it before. And then we did the Kungsleden, and that was like a really small glimpse, obviously, because the, the PCT is ten times longer than that. Um, but I just thought, obviously it's going to be not now. It'll be in a few years' time, but that's my... My plan <laughs> in the next five years is to do that. Yeah, B's like, do you want to come with me? I'm <laughs> going. You don't, I'll go on my own. <laughs> but yeah, I'm up for it. Um, but no, we've, we've got a lot of plans. I mean, when we went to see our friends in Portugal, they've kind of like ignited some kind of uh, dream inside us now um, who have bought some land there, which was stunning. So we're kind of like thinking about things we can do. And Yeah, just, just we're just into anything, you know, off-grid cabins, off-grid yeah. living, you know, how can you... Different you know. trails as well that there are. There's the um, famous one in Scotland that we'd like to do this year. It's the um, West Highland Way. That's about... 96 kilometers or so it's not very long but it goes through some stunning scenery in scotland that we'd really like to do so yeah give ourselves a week to do that this year so that cool. sounds great yeah B, I, I mean B, I gotta say the pct is also on my list although oh, is it? <laughs> although the kungsleden just moved way ahead of it to be <laughs> yeah. frank. well the kungsleden is a little bit more accessible in terms of time i suppose because obviously looking at the pct it's not you can't do that in a month you and also and how quiet it is you know it's like yeah it's just i've seen yeah i've seen shots in the pct where you it know it look almost like looks like a campsite at some places wow. and uh, there's lots of different people, you know, there's lots of people camping in one area, whereas on the Kungsleden, and, you know, it's nice that you cannot see anyone. It's nice to see people, but also you cannot see anyone. I suppose that could be the same on the PCT, though, but then I'm gunning for it, so yeah. I'm going to say that. <laughs> yeah, if you go southbound, maybe. I, mean, I, I forgot yeah. to ask you guys, how many people are hiking the Kungsleden each year? Oh, there's got to be a good couple of thousand, probably. Yeah, I don't know the statistic. It was uh, very busy in the first week, um, which, like we said earlier, was the most popular bit, uh, Abisko to Nikoliwokta. That is really popular. If you search it in YouTube, you'll see tons of videos for that section. So that's really popular. Uh, but then it does But it didn't feel crowded. No. Like, it, it wasn't, even at the very busiest, it wasn't crowded. It was, you know, there was But then we people. were in September. I imagine in August it yeah. just get pretty yeah. busy. But yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it is... Yeah. All 2,000 of those hikers were were through hikers. They were hiking the whole trail? No, no. no. I, 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 the people I spoke to, I don't think we that many... We a handful of people yeah, who were Yeah, I don't think trail. many people actually complete no, the whole thing. They don't because, like, like with a few other through hiking long distance things, I don't think a lot of people have a lot of time to be able to do the whole thing. I mean, there was one guy who we met who was doing it ultralight really fast. He he was probably going to have done it in about two and a half to three weeks. Yeah. But, but out mean, of everyone else... There's a lot of people who just who get halfway and just have had enough. You know, yeah. they, 
you know they don't want to carry on there's there's a way out there and and you know I'm I'm very kind of stubborn and yeah we were like we need to finish it because we're here now <laughs> yeah right. it was uh, such a journey you'd have to drag me off the trail if you wanted me to stop like it's that's who I am but yeah many people I think they get halfway and they're just like oh you or know. they're just doing the top or yeah. just one because you can do it in four sections if you wanted to um so that's what I think quite a lot of people do they'll they'll do mm. one section and come back and do another section at another time. I mean, other than watching your movie, which I think is a great way to learn about the Kung Sledden, um, is there a guidebook that uh, that you guys took with you that, that <clears throat> listeners could grab? We didn't take a guidebook, actually. We just literally had maps. Um, I know that Cody and Justina had a guidebook, but I don't know what it's called. Um, yeah. I'm really sorry about that. I mean, if you have any show notes, we could find out and you could put them with it. Uh, but, yeah, basically we just had a very rough kind of list of like okay roughly this is this distance to this cabin and this is the next section and 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 the elevation so yeah that's that's all we really had with us gotcha well let me let me ask you two final questions uh to to aid the listeners on on possibly doing this hike how how was the kongsleden exactly like you thought it would be and how was it totally different so for me, I didn't really know what to expect because I literally did as much research as I could, but it was so hard to find information. And that is one of the main reasons I wanted to do the film is because to give people like myself who, you know, wanted to do it, but wasn't sure what you were going to see along the way and wasn't, you know, even the wildlife or the scenery, what's it like? Uh, so I didn't really had have much of a picture in my head of what it would be like apart from some of the photos I'd seen that Cody had took before. Uh, so yeah, it was, yeah, it was way better than I could have ever imagined to be honest. I think for me, I remember when we stopped, stepped off the train in Abisko and, uh, Cody was talking about what the weather was going to be like, cause he'd been looking on his phone and I just suddenly realized we're actually going into like the wilderness for <laughs> 10 days or whatever until we got to, um, Saltaluokta and I kind of, that was a bit even though I'd been reading about it and I knew it was going to be obviously hiking in the middle of nowhere that was just like wow actually we are literally going into the wilderness like we need everything we have with us now is what we are going to have with us for the next however long and that was um sounds really naive but that was really like the biggest shock for me I think which is really weird um, it's, it's so much with with these kind of long distance hiking things it's so much in your head True. You know, it's so much in your head and it's like the best the, I mean the worst thing you can do is think too far in advance you just need to take every day as it comes yeah. and you say okay I'm going to get from here to here and and that's that day complete and then you work out the next day I also didn't anticipate getting an injury so soon in the trail which was really irritating and made it 10 times harder than it needed to be but uh, because I didn't bring enough painkillers, so obviously I was going to get hurt. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was uh, a, a nasty side effect that I, I just didn't anticipate was going to happen. But we just got on with it. Yeah, bring less socks and more painkillers. Yeah, bring tons yeah. of ibuprofen. <laughs> maybe we we call that vitamin vitamin I here. Actually, <laughs> maybe I should ask you guys when you when you um, your lowest moment on the trail and your highest highest moment that'd probably be a great great way to summarize the experience 
Lowest was when three days in, my knee just randomly started hurting, which then transferred into my hip. Because uh, I suffer from tendonitis in my hip and that had not flared up for a few years. And the lowest moment was when it chose to flare up within the first week. B B literally had both her hands on her leg and was dragging her leg along. <laughs> if I didn't have, let's just say, if I didn't have walking poles, there's no way I would have been able to drag myself along that trail. <laughs> and then the highest moment was probably like, yeah, my lowest moment was my ear. And then oh. the high, the, <laughs> the, the, I knew that was coming. <laughs> and then the highest moment would have been probably when we met the fishermen and they gave yeah. us that fresh fish. Yeah, and, that was pretty high. Yeah, the best best tasting fish ever. Yeah, that yeah a little right. trail magic. They hooked, did yeah. they hook you up with some pasta too? Do I remember? No, potatoes? some mashed potatoes. Yeah, some oh, mashed yeah. potatoes. Amazing. Yeah, it was yeah. fully stunning and just happened to have a frying pan in that one cabin that was just really lucky. So that was honestly the best meal of my life, I think. And then yeah. on our last ever night, this was like trail magic from someone. I don't know who left it there, but... Someone had left a tube of cheese outside the cabin in the um, cold, cold weather. So uh, we had some macaroni and cheese for our last meal, which was fantastic as well. Yeah, Mixed there's something about about food up being very uplifting when you're on a long distance hike. Oh yeah, hike, all, you, yeah. all you think about is food, well, yeah. food that you miss out on and what you want. And I had my heart set on these things that they sell at the um, petrol stations there. They're called cronuts. I know they probably have them in America, but. When we got to Hemavan, we'd finished, and I'd been thinking about these cronuts for 30 days. And uh, I hiked, well, I didn't hike. I walked the kilometre from the hostel to the petrol station. They didn't have them. I felt like my world had ended. So that was the lowest point, actually, and yeah, that wasn't even on the trail. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's crazy. We, we bought so much junk food after and literally had to leave most of it because we couldn't we couldn't eat it because our, our stomachs have shrunk. And, yeah, we'd, we've not had... Uh, Cuscus to this day, Don't you know. No. <laughs> just can't even look at the stuff. That, that happened to me when I threw hiked the Appalachian Trail. To this day, yeah. I cannot eat a nutrient. No. <laughs> I just can't eat them. I know. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's exactly. Horrible. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, hey guys, I will uh, put a link on the website to your um, YouTube page so that the listeners can find your movie and also uh, follow you guys because you, you do have a lot of interesting uh, journeys that you do. Um, thank you very much yeah I really appreciate you being on the show congratulations on your new boat that looks oh, really no cool problem. No, <laughs> thank thanks, you. thanks for having us on well thanks for reaching out as well it's really great we've never done a podcast before so this is exciting yeah <laughs> yeah well I think you're going to see a lot more Americans on the Kung Sladen coming forward <laughs> I predict <laughs> let's hope so, so. Uh, yeah yeah, yeah and we're good. trying to expand our, our audience here internationally so this is good in that regard as well oh, of course yeah but, um, well, guys, thanks so much. It's, it's been a pleasure to uh, talk to you. I really, really enjoyed your film. I thought the Thank cinematography you. was excellent, and um, just, you know, the whole storytelling was good. So I'm sure that uh, that you'll be hearing from some listeners about how awesome your show is. <laughs> That's Brilliant. Great. Cheers, Dave. Thanks. thanks. All right. Take care. We'll see you soon. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the Into Backpacking Podcast. This is your host, Bird Shooter, wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this show, visit iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And give us a thumbs up or a positive comment while you're there. You can also download shows directly from intobackpacking.com. Just click the Podcast tab on the main menu. 
Music for this show was provided by Jarrus under a Creative Commons license and is titled Hillbilly Anarchy. This show is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures, Inc. For more information on this podcast or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at n2backpacking.com. That's the letter N, the number two, backpacking.com. <laughs>